Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. In this podcast, I'd like to take you on my personal journey. I'll share with you the lessons I've learned over the past 20 years, which I believe were important in successfully getting organizations to move towards more customer and human centricity. These are personal lessons, which had a direct effect on my professional role, as I believe that those two can never be truly disconnected. The very basis I use for all these lessons is my professional journey from my first employer, early 2000, to the work I now enjoy doing as an independent consultant. I hope these lessons can also help you make the difference. Let's start with my first job, because that won't take very long, trust me. My first position lasted, drum roll, a staggering two months. When I started work early in 2000, it was at the peak of the IT hype. I was the only one with any form of relevant training in the introduction class of 20 people, as I had studied business and IT. They needed so many people that everyone was warmly welcomed. It was an amazing three-week onboarding, and I started work with great enthusiasm. I soon discovered that working at the internal IT help desk was their 18-month starting position. While I had no idea what I wanted to do, I certainly knew that this was not a role that would make me happy. When it became clear that there was no alternative route, I excused myself and left at the end of my trial period. I had nothing to fall back on, but I was certain that this was not the job for me. I soon found my second employer, where I worked for no less than four months. This was a small-scale internet agency, which was once again a great fit people-wise, but it was just no job match for me. I was then approached through Monster Board for employer number three. By then, those around me had started to hint that maybe it's not very healthy for my resume to keep switching so often. That was, and still is, one of my most important lessons that I advise everyone. As long as you don't get stuck doing things you don't like, you'll find something that suits you. In other words, have the courage to take that kind of decision, whatever other people think. Personally, my philosophy is, as long as your job is not your hobby, you haven't found the right job yet. After all, I could have sincerely explained any comments that I might have received about my resume. I wasn't job hopping, I was simply learning what suited me and what did not. I put my best foot forward and started my new job. And three guesses, yes, indeed, the nature of the beast was unavoidable. Though it actually took a whole nine months this time before I felt the need to continue searching. My quest had actually started upon graduating at the end of 99. That's when I started to work on the subject of CRM, Customer Relationship Management, which was my preferred field. Not in the technical side of CRM software, but rather the improvement of customer centricity, the organizational side of CRM. That's what I was looking for, but it proved tricky to find, at least for me. Okay, so I'd been working for nine months and I was once again at the point of deciding to move on. But it was very difficult to move towards the organizational side of CRM in any job, because my studies tended to mainly push me into the technical corner. I was running out of student loan in the meantime, however, 
as I only had a couple of months left of my four years entitlement. So no financial means to get back to university full time. And my position with my current employer was for at least 28 hours a week with no leeway for less. And a 28 hour working week combined with full time study was simply too ambitious even though I was a quick learner. My manager then came up with a fantastic proposal for which I'm still eternally grateful to him. And that was to allow me a 20 hour contract which would enable me to study full time on the side, so to speak. I'd already identified a course which was to study marketing at the University of Nijmegen. I was required to take a three year course as my previous study didn't equip me for the two year version, but this felt like the right route to help me on my next step. For three years, I had a fantastic job and completed the marketing course. After graduation, I once again concentrated my search on CRM jobs, but not on the IT side. Starting with my employer at that time, I had a sense of loyalty for having facilitated my studies. However, they were engaged purely on the IT side of CRM, so I needed to widen my search. I found the first of the non-IT positions in CRM at my next employer. Or so I thought. Because during the first interview, it turned out that clever little me had applied for a CRM PeopleSoft position, which was a technical function. Thankfully, the universe stepped in and came to my rescue. The lady from HR said to me, we have a CRM consultant vacancy, and isn't that what you're actually looking for? Absolutely, I am. She couldn't resist giving me a friendly yet knowing wink and commenting, I think you're suitable, but perhaps you should prepare yourself better for your following interview. Note taken. After the follow-up interviews and tests, I was set to work. In consulting, in a department that was specialized in customer centricity. Yeehaw! One of the things I'll never forget about our three-week onboarding is a manipulation during a case we were working on. Our assignment was to create a pitch giving a solution to the problem of a potential customer. We had divided the task neatly, formulated the plan together, and decided who would make the presentation to management. The whole group stood facing management. My co-introduction colleague stepped forward to start giving the presentation. At that moment, one of the trainers present said to her, Hey Melanie, I just had a very urgent call from another customer and you really need to come with me. Uh, say what? <laughs> of course it was all prearranged, but hey, we didn't know that. I was standing next to her, and so I was the one having to give the presentation. While I was pretty familiar with the whole thing, I hadn't prepared the entire presentation. And that resulted in one of the most valuable comments I've ever received, and which I've always applied since then. During the evaluation, what they said was, we really didn't feel like you were trying to sell us something. And they meant that in a positive way. And I still work the same way now. I'm truly focused on trying to help people. As soon as I become aware that an organization will not benefit from a proposal or an approach, I always say so. Even though that might mean lost income on my part. Because I'm convinced that the only route to long-term success is to think in terms of added value. People sense that there is no hidden agenda. They sense that you truly want to help them create happy customers and employees. 
and that immediately results in a totally different relationship than when you arrive ready to sell your product or service. And whether you're external or internal, this is a universal principle of serving the cause. If people feel that you are there to serve the process or the organization, rather than your own interests, you'll be a lot more effective in mobilizing the organization. Following the introduction, it was time to set to work for the first customers. As a result of my thesis on complaints management, that was one of the first subjects with which I was confronted for customers. At one of the customers' organizations, an insurance company, there was a situation that I will never forget. We, my direct supervisors in the contact center and myself, were convinced of the importance and value of complaints management. The operational manager hmm, was less keen on the idea. A number of sessions had been undertaken to convince him, but they were still meeting with resistance. Which is no less than logical if you feel that you need to defend yourself because the number one complaint concerns your own process. And even more so if your superiors hold you accountable for any number of targets in which complaints do not exactly have a high priority. A new approach was therefore needed in order to remove the resistance. One of the issues that was on the priority list of the operational manager was efficiency, translated into cost reduction and speed of the process. What I did was map out the journey required to terminate a life insurance policy entirely from the customer perspective. This was the number one complaint after all, that terminating the policy it either took too long or proved to be impossible. I did a quick round of employees in all departments involved and asked them what steps do you take and how long does each step take? And I asked customer service if a customer calls to ask you about the status of terminating their policy and how long it will take, what do you tell them? I then summarized this journey and the answers from the customer service in one single PowerPoint sheet. It gave all the steps in the journey the turnaround time per step, the total turnaround time, and the information given by customer service on receiving a call. And what did we discover? The total turnaround time was 37 working days, while customer service was communicating 10 days. This insight of the 37 days was completely new to the manager. Why? Because all departments were steered for internal SLAs. And they were all on green, so why were we having any complaints that it would took so long? But nobody had viewed and added up all those internal SLAs from the customer's perspective. This proved to be extremely valuable to him. It enabled him to render the process more efficient and avoid unnecessary customer contacts. Happier customers and greater efficiency. A great win-win. At the time of this occurrence, I was absolutely unaware that I would continue to learn so many lessons from this single experience. It was only when my direct superior approached me after the meeting and complimented me on my creativity. He literally said, you pulled a rabbit out of the hat. That made me aware of how important this was. I'd like to share four lessons that I learned which are still relevant today. Firstly, the organization is often blind to the customer's perspective entirely unconsciously. Therefore, always reduce matters to the core, based on the customer. What are we here for? 
The customer journey is the connecting factor and is neutral above all internal interests taking place. Second, always ensure that you understand the other person's goals or targets and are geared to them to create a win-win situation. In this case, the manager's target was not to reduce complaints, but was to improve efficiency. There too, customer centricity and journeys are super valuable tools. Third, creativity is extremely important if you're looking to induce movement and create energy. Make sure you always use new approaches, new creative methods to provide insight in order to keep the situation lighthearted and lively. If you're not particularly creative, make sure you add creative people to your team. Fourth and final, never underestimate the power of simplicity. This journey and that round of the internal colleagues took me only an hour to do. I was therefore totally unaware of how great an impact it could have because it was so quick and simple to do. Yet so many organizations drown in their internal complexity and it helps them to become untangled now and then. And that is precisely what the customer perspective always brings to the table. Check? Okay, let's continue the journey. After having been employed there for six months, yes, yes, in the end, I spent a whole five years with that single employer I started to give some more thought about my dream of improving the world. Meaning, help organizations build great relationships with customers and employees. I then also thought, hmm, it's all very well that some person called Zana from the small yet beautiful town of Husse is proclaiming all this, but it could be useful if there was some form of research evidence in order to convince decision makers at the board level. And so the idea dawned on me to undertake doctoral research. But at the same time, I thought, ugh, doctoral research, a PhD, boring scientific stuff. Yet somehow I felt very strongly that it was essential if I was to achieve my mission. So off I went to the university to discuss my idea. And I had a particularly long list of what I didn't want to do. Not employed by the university, keep working full-time for my employer, no vague theoretical justified variable research, but proper practically relevant research, just to name a few. After three meetings, we'd reached agreement. Yes, it was suitable for doctoral research, and yes, I could do it as a so-called external doctorate candidate. What I started doing at that point was to directly translate all insights gained during my PhD into actions that were directly useful for organizations by means of blogging and writing articles in trade journals and websites. After all, I knew from the start that no organization was going to read a scientific journal and I certainly wouldn't advise them to do so. The final year of my doctorate was therefore quite a struggle. All insights relevant to the practical situation were ready and had been shared with the world. But if I was to gain my title, I needed to translate all those insights into scientific articles that were publishable. Even though I knew for certain that nobody would ever read them in practice. During that final year, there were many times when my significant other needed to give me a gentle kick in the right direction. I never cared about the title after all. As far as I was concerned, I'd already achieved my purpose in practice with all the publications and working with companies implementing my methodology. 
but simply for the sake of the title, the scientific articles needed to be written. In hindsight, I'm internally grateful to him for his gentle kick in the butt. Almost every day, I still read the benefits of the fact that the board level of an organization appreciates me having completed a PhD. So yes, the means was absolutely key in realizing the dream. Internationally, even more so than in the Netherlands. During that same period, a number of colleagues were also considering doctoral research. My advice then is still my advice today. If you're only in it for the title, please don't bother. You need to feel so strongly about the subject or your purpose that you're willing to invest all those years in something which is certainly not always a pleasurable experience. Just to give you an idea, with one day a week, I spent six and a half years to finally finish my PhD. So if you're interested in doing a PhD, just make sure you really know your personal why in great detail. What's your aim? What gets you out of bed every morning? The answers to those questions will define your choice in starting a PhD or not. That same employer, who gave me the leeway to spend one day a week on my doctoral research, also gave me the opportunity to participate in their three-year leadership development program for high potentials. Three lessons I learned in that process that are still with me today, I also like to share with you. The first one was during one of the training sessions. At a certain point, the trainer said to me, you're hiding behind your doctoral research. You claim that it needs to be finished before you can put your dream out there in the world. You can already add so much value. You don't need to have completed that research to start making a difference right now. I wasn't really aware of that, but it was true. It was partly because of that comment that I then started to put out both the results and my vision which eventually led me to devising the Accelerate and Experience methodology. Based on my vision, a soft dream to help organizations treat people better, I began devising a very concrete and measurable method. A method that would help achieve this soft dream because it speaks the language of the organization in terms of hard, steerable insights and euros. The second lesson I learned came from a one-to-one dialogue. It was a type of evaluation of how far I was and what I stood for. Listening to my story, at some point the trainer asked, Aha, so you are a type of preacher as it were. Yes, absolutely, I responded. Admittedly, at that time I was A, not a particularly effective preacher, because you can't change the world simply by shouting out loud, and B, also not a very good preacher, because I wasn't exactly forgiving towards those people I believed were dealing with customers and employees in the wrong manner. Maybe it was an age thing, I'm now 42, and I recognize comparable patterns in younger colleagues who I'm coaching. But it doesn't detract from the fact that these were wise lessons for how not to do it. After all, I had a total lack of respect for managers whom I believed to be only using Excel sheets rather than acting out of any concern for customer or employee interests. It was, of course, a very annoying and also arrogant attitude to take. Because who was I to assume that I could do things better? When someone has been successfully running a company or department for many years, he or she has many good qualities, including qualities that I lack. But that wasn't how I saw things back in the day. And of course, the managers in question immediately sensed that I reacted with resistance, 
and rightly so. Well, I'm painting a very black and white picture here, since it helps to make a point. Apart from that, I was also back then quite a nice person. I certainly also created a great deal of movement in organizations where I was involved, but become so much more sustainable and effectively anchored if you serve the cause, and especially use respect as a basis, genuinely looking for ways to help each other. In other words, be careful with judging others. Another pattern that might once have been effective, but not as a professional, is the idea of being the so-called savior. I have extremely broad shoulders, took full responsibility for customer centricity, and was convinced that I could save, between brackets, the organization and could step into the breach for colleagues. This not only reeks of delusions of grandeur, but is particularly ineffective when looking to abet the customer and human centricity in the DNA of the organization itself. By assuming all responsibility, everyone else can just sit back, relax and say, more customer centricity? I don't have to work on that. That's Zana's thing, right? If you recognize this pattern, please listen to my advice to start some serious soul searching how you can break through this pattern. Because it's really not helping the organization. You need to leave the responsibility where it already is and instead help people to be creative but do not assume responsibility. That's also the reason for my reluctance to create a chief customer officer or a chief customer happiness. That simply makes it easier for organizations to keep pointing the finger at that person, albeit unconsciously, while each person should actually be checking what he or she already contributes to extra customer and human centricity on a daily basis in their own role, and how that contribution can be increased. As I mentioned earlier, I like to make things black and white, just to make them extra clear. Most of all this took place when I was aged between 27 and 34. After that, I began very consciously to invest in training aimed at introspection. After all, many of the patterns we develop are often derived from situations we experience as children. In order to break through such patterns, you first need to be aware that they are no longer applicable to you and also no longer effective. I believe such introspection journeys to be the most valuable investment you could ever make. You might define it as being purely personal development, but it has a direct influence on your professional development. One simply cannot work without the other. And although certainly extremely painful and sad at times, the entire process is 300% worth undertaking. It made me a more rounded person and therefore also a more effective professional. So I now often say, I may not be that preacher, but I'm a pragmatist actually helping to improve the world rather than simply shouting about everything that needs to be done differently. Working on the basis of respect and serving the cause naturally results in patience not to want to push too hard. Timing is really everything in life. So if after a few attempts, you become aware that no one is rising to your suggestions, leave well alone. You can try to communicate creatively a few times, and if that's not successful, then the time is simply not yet right, or you are not yet the right person for the job. Resist the urge to keep pulling and pushing. Let it go and focus instead on people or organizations who are at the right stage to need what you can offer. My third and final lesson 
I took from a comment made by one of my supervisors. He said, you're thinking too small, think big. And he said that to me on several occasions. I could never get my head around that, and I still can't. All I have consistently done is to follow my heart and devise solutions for my indignation as to how organizations sometimes deal with people. I never once thought, I want a title, I want a career, or I want to work internationally. That's all the consequence of constantly sensing what felt right to me, rather than having other motives. What you need to do if you want to make a difference, at least in my opinion, is forget all about grandeur, all kinds of interests and other non-intrinsic motivations. The most important advice I can give you, based on my past experience and what I'm seeing still work today, is that you have the courage to be yourself and follow your heart. Once you know where you stand, and it makes sense to you, the people around you will feel that too. Instead of resistance, it will result in positive energy. People will feel inspired instead of having the idea that someone is coming to tell them what to do. You're then helping people to recognize their own sense of purpose. And there's nothing stronger than creating a movement with people based on purpose. Who, in my case, are all convinced of the importance of treating customers and employees well. Who are only looking for some extra assistance on how to improve or smarten their approach. How they can do so, despite the organizational system that is in place, that sometimes seems to make it impossible. How they themselves can make the difference, rather than being a victim of such an organizational system. And then, before you know it, you're helping employees really gain awareness of their purpose in 16 countries, and creating space for them to make even more difference for their customers on a daily basis. It's a journey that still amazes me every day, and in which I'm still learning and improving myself on a daily basis. So the only thing left for me to say to you is to take courage, be truthful, have fun, and make sure you enjoy your own personal journey.